Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today our Gospel reading was from the Gospel of St. Luke in chapter 4. In our reading, Jesus tells a parable about guests who have been invited and start to come to a wedding feast. In the parable of the wedding feast, Jesus knows that some of those that were invited, they're coming and they're taking the best places, the best seats at the banquet. And Jesus says, when you're invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down at the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, give place to this man. And then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place. So that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you will have great presence, great glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. One of the many great paradoxes of our faith, huh? One of the great paradoxes of our faith, indeed of the kingdom of God, that if you with a right and good heart seek to be exalted by Christ in his kingdom, then you must become nothing. Then you must become the least of all your brethren. Only then will you be given what the heart of your most true self is built to desire and long for, and only then will you experience contentment of person deep within your soul. You see, those who are truly growing to spiritual maturity in our Lord Jesus Christ are those who are more and more lowering themselves to be the servant and the lover of all those who are around them. Never seeking to be seen in any good work, never seeking ministries and positions, but seeking to love and serve Christ by loving and serving all who are around them. Never finding any contentment whatsoever, because we never do find everlasting contentment in the eyes or the praise of mankind. It's a falsity, my friends. It's a pseudo-contentment that's there for a moment and you're back to discontent. Again, such a paradox that the ones who are truly held in esteem in the eyes of God are the ones that live as the least of their brethren. Why is this true? Because, my friends, is this not the very nature of our Lord and God, Jesus Christ himself? He who was and is and always will be, he who is everything, became nothing so that you and I may gain and have. God coming down and lowering himself to take the posture of a bondservant to save those who weren't worthy of it. This is the humility of God. Christ our God embodied this blessed virtue of humility that we might embrace this virtue as a path. A path to truly come home to him. And a path to truly settle in and come home to our truly created selves. That's why St. Paul writes what he writes to us today, that we heard read from his epistle to the Ephesians in chapter 4. He speaks about this path, 
And he wants to instruct us and help us in moving toward the path of participating in the nature of the virtue of Christ. This blessed humility. Listen to the words of St. Paul. He says, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And then he answers how to walk worthy and to keep this bond of peace established in his kingdom. He says, be completely humble and meek and long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. An early church theologian, Marius Victorinus, he spoke of these words of Paul. Listen to what he had to say. St. Paul speaks of several forms of forbearance, each of which prevents the people of God from being carried away or proud. Lowliness, humility, lowliness is first, then meekness. Lowliness consists of having a humble mind about oneself. Meekness is a curb on pride and cruelty to others. Patience, or long-suffering, consists in bearing any adverse circumstance that may befall them with one another in their fellowship. You see, what St. Paul is offering us in this path is three foundational pillars to moving by the grace of God to grow in the virtues of Christ toward living in His humility one to another within body of Christ. And so we're going to go over each three of these this morning. And as we hear the truths of these three pillars that lead us to humility and ultimately to becoming the agape love of God for one another, when you hear these three, let it test you in a holy way. Let the words of our Lord and the wisdom of Christ and his nature be before you so that you see the thank God and yes and well done good and faithful servant where you're moving in that direction. But also you see where you might be falling short in the way that you are loving and being towards one another, both in the body of Christ and in the extended body of Christ in our homes. So let's have a look at the three pillars. The first is humility or lowliness. And I can offer you no greater wisdom on what humility is than to hear St. Paul speak of the humility that was our Lord Jesus Christ when he wrote to the church in Philippi in chapter 2. He says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Oh, if you can picture what St. Paul is saying. If we could have only seen the glory of the Word of God before the Incarnation. Why would I say that? Not just to be in awe of that glory, but to see what he put off. To see what he laid down. The distance between what he was and had. To take on our flesh, to present God in the humility of a bond servant, the least of all. An unbelievable picture to us. One of the greatest pictures we have in action of this is when... When we hear the gospel reading in Monday, Thursday, and Blessed Holy Week, 
And we see the telling of Jesus washing the feet, the feet of his disciples. What does our Lord do? He literally disrobes before them, before his disciples. And he puts on the garments of a household slave or servant. You see, and not only does he change in the appearance to put on the appearance of holiness, but he lived the reality of humility before them. Because he proceeded to perform one of the lowest, most menial tasks that a servant in a household would do, he washed their nasty feet. Picture this. Our Lord Jesus Christ who created the disciples and those feet that were attached to them. <laughs> he washed their feet of the dirt by the way which he created in the beginning. He loved his disciples and showed them that he was the servant of all. He did this for a reason because he would get up after concluding washing all of their feet, and he would look at them and say, you see how I've lived among you? So you must live among one another. This is how we live. This is how we live. This is the humility of Christ. Second pillar, meekness. Meekness. Now there are two sides to the coin of our understanding of what it is to be meek. Meekness, number one, is this. That we live in such a way that we go absolutely out of our way to do any harm. To make sure we do not do any harm to any one soul. Another word for meekness is gentleness. It's hard to consider yourself walking in the virtue of gentleness when fiery darts are coming from you and stinging others. When we walk in meekness, we go out of our way to put that hand over our mouth and pray and to steer clear of doing any harm to our beloved brothers and sisters, husbands and wives and children, children to your parents, and I could go on and on. We go out of our way to do no harm, but the second part of that coin is not only do we go out of our way to do no harm, but in meekness, we go out of our way to live as nothing but a blessing, to live to exhort our brothers and sisters in Christ, to lift them up before God when they're falling, even when that fallenness is calling, causing their humanity to fire some darts at us. That we go out of our way to do no harm, but we bear them up, you see. And this leads us to the third. The third pillar, long-suffering, or patience it's called. I personally prefer long-suffering, even though patience works great, because sometimes I feel like when I'm praying for patience, oh Lord, help me. Right? We pray for, but when we pray for patience and the sense of long-suffering, we're accurate, you see. Because long-suffering, that virtue is this. It's enduring with infinitely patient love the humanity of others. And not only is it enduring in that love the humanity of others, but it endures it inexhaustibly by the grace of God. We look to the disposition of our Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross to see one of the greatest measures of long-suffering that we'll find. In the stations of the cross that we pray on Fridays all throughout Lent, one of the stations is where our Lord is being nailed to the cross. The meditation at that station is this, our Lord Jesus Christ being nailed to the cross, praying for the nailers. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Now let's lock into what that, minds, what that means, because I promise you 
that the ones who were nailing those huge nails into his wrists and feet, they knew they were nailing him. And all the scoffers, as he was naked upon the cross, hurling insults at his torture and suffering, all of those who were letting those evil words, hideous words, come out of their mouths, they knew they bowed, they knew what they were saying. They knew it. So this is not what our Lord Jesus Christ is praying when he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What was Jesus doing? On the cross, he is enduring, not retaliating. He is enduring the broken humanity and the actions of the brokenness that was coming from within the souls. But he is enduring the outward humanity while praying for the inward soul. He was praying for the healing that he was hanging there to bring. That the Lord would touch and heal them with great forgiveness because they don't understand, they can't see yet their own brokenness to understand why they would be doing these hideous actions. Do you see? Our Lord Jesus Christ enduring the outward waves of humanity, praying for the only thing that matters, their soul. Because once a soul is healed, the fiery darts are packed away. You see? We change, my friends, from inside out, not the other way. And so it should be that with one another, when the human when, not if, when the humanity of each of us is railing against one of us, rather than striking back, we take the same disposition of long-suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross, and we begin immediately to pray. Not praying against their actions, but praying for what they can't see yet. Praying for the soul that is in need of the touch of healing by the one who came to heal the soul. We pray in love. We endure in love. One of the desert fathers made this statement. And I saw this just yesterday for the first time. <clears throat> if someone bears with his neighbor during a fit of temper, that is when a neighbor's temper is coming your way. If someone bears with his neighbor during a fit of temper, it's equal to the furnace at the time of the three youths. Consider this. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, thrown in the fiery furnace, should have burned them, should have destroyed them, but it didn't. Why didn't it? Because when people looked into that fire, there weren't three. There were four in the midst of the flames. Christ our God was in the midst of the flames delivering them from the torture of the flames. If we will live in the virtue of long-suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ, when the flames of our brother or sister's humanity is coming at us, Christ will be in our midst, in the midst of the flame. There is no reason we will not be at peace in the midst of the flame. And we will pray for them that they be delivered out of the flame that they're burning with. Do you see this? What a beautiful image. We bear with the temper of one another. It's as if Christ is in the flames with us. We seek to become long-suffering because if we do, if we live with this long-suffering, we remain at peace because we love someone else greater than ourselves. And Christ will bless those moments. Because this is how God is with us all about every moment of our lives, yes? About every moment. And we must participate in His nature. That divine nature of long-suffering. Those three pillars Paul gives us. Humility, meekness, meekness, and long-suffering. When we do not walk in these, 
which is when we do not walk in the love of God. In this humility, meekness, and long-suffering, we are the ones who suffer, and we will cause the suffering of someone else. It is inevitable. It destroys the unity of us all and the experience of the peace of Christ that he has offered us through each one of us to each one of us. Because, my friends, you are, you are vessels of the complete nature of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we can't connect to receive that peace and enjoy greatly that peace that he's come to offer us. I want to conclude with the blessed words of St. John Chrysostom on this. He says, beautiful is this bond of peace among Christians. Bind yourselves to your brother. Those thus bound together in love bear everything with ease. He wants us to be bound together with one another, not only to be at peace, not only to be friends, but to be all one, a single soul. Beautiful is this bond. With this bond, we bind ourselves together both to one another and to God. And this is not a chain, he says, that bruises. It doesn't cramp the hands. It leaves them free. It gives them ample room and greater courage. My friends, true Christian freedom and contentment will never be found clinging to your rights. Ever. Rather, the opposite is the giving away of ourselves freely for the love of another. This is Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.